Rewind it back to the days of chillaxing on the beach and all-day fun with Spring Break on DraftKings Casino. Play exclusive games like Fan Fave Rocket. The excitement is endless, the vibes are right, and the cash prizes could be huge. New players, start playing with just 5 bucks and get 100 back instantly in casino credits. Download the app and use code RTFP to book your one-way ticket to fun with DraftKings Casino. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21-plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash football for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. It's the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it is. But it's not just any Ross Tucker Football Podcast. It is a Finish Strong Friday, a Co-Sells Concepts Friday edition of the mighty RTFP Presented by you guys, the winners. I want winners. I want people that want to win. I want people like Johnny Mulkern, who retweeted Monday's College Draft podcast on Twitter. He didn't retweet me, at Ross Tucker NFL. He retweeted our awesome intern, Casey Bryan, Twitter handle, at Ross Tucker Pod. So many awesome video clips going up on social media. By the way, we're now posting all of our social media clips on a highlights playlist on our YouTube page. If you ever just want to see the highlights, if you will, go to youtube.com slash Ross Tucker NFL and check out the highlights. It's pretty cool. You can just see the things that we thought were most noteworthy from each of our shows in video format. Johnny, I think you know the deal. Send me an email, ross at rostucker.com. I will send you a signed picture, signed card. And as I tweeted yesterday, put on Instagram as well, and Facebook, at Ross Tucker NFL, somebody's trying to sell a signed index card of mine for $20? Are you kidding me? How much would an actual picture be worth? How much would an actual signed card be worth? So appreciate it, Johnny. Sponsor confirmation email winner. You guys know what that is. Ryan Newman, he went to fantasypoints.com where you can get all of our guy Greg Cosell's great content and use the code FEAST, all caps. And rather than a signed picture, sign autograph, he just wanted to shout out for his awesome new website, footballpredictionsystems.com. Ryan's a very smart guy, played football at Air Force. Check out footballpredictionsystems.com. He's also one of you guys. He's a tuckhead, and he is a listener. It's Big Show time. The Big Show. I look forward to it every week. You look forward to it every week. It's one of the best things, frankly, we've done here on this show in a while. In addition to the new YouTube page, we talk to him during the season breaking down the video. We talk to him before the draft breaking down the college prospects. But now, this offseason, 
we have been diving into some concepts, helping you learn more about the game you love from the professor, Greg Cosell, at Greg Cosell on Twitter. He posts a bunch of stuff there. And as I mentioned, fantasypoints.com. Just use the code FEAST. You can go against me and Joe in the Fantasy League, and you can read Greg's in-depth reports, which are amazing. I just read the Carson Wentz one. It is ridiculous how much time Greg puts into these things. Really, really awesome. Greg, appreciate having you. As always, before we dive into the no huddle and tempo stuff, which is today's co-sells concept, and I'm really interested and excited to talk to you about it, I did want to ask you about two players quickly. One is Raheem Mostert. In the news this week, his agent has asked for a trade. He wants more money. Obviously, he went on that great run in the playoffs, especially the NFC Championship game. When you watch him, Greg, and I know it's sometimes tough to separate the two, how much is Raheem Mostert a really good player? How much of it was Kyle Shanahan and that scheme in San Francisco? Well, I think you get caught up in that whole debate. And it goes back to Mike Shanahan because Kyle's running a lot of the same run game. Ross, and you know this, that Mike Shanahan had different backs every season. Orlandis Gary, Mike Anderson, uh, the other names as well, who gained 1,000-plus yards and looked like really good backs in a really well-designed, well-executed zone system. Uh, I understand Raheem Mostert's point of view. He wants to be paid, just like, I guess, Tevin Coleman, the, the highest paid back on the Niners. But my guess is he does not have a lot of leverage. Even if he does get a trade, no team is going to offer him a three or four or five year deal at big dollars. Um, he's a nice bat. But don't forget, I think he'd been with seven teams. Yeah, I always hate talking like this because I know how hard players work and I have total respect for players. But I think most people would probably say that there's 25 Raheem Mosters, that there's nothing special about him that would warrant a team dishing out an awful lot of money. Yeah, it, man, it's tough. It really is because he looked awesome. I mean, I was on the sideline of the NFC Championship game. He looked like he was shot out of a cannon. It was crazy. But then again, as you said, we've seen so many guys do that in the Shanahan offenses that I do think that there are a bunch of people that can probably do it. Uh, I'm sure there's some team out there that would pay him more, though, than the Niners are. So Perhaps. Perhaps, yeah. but he's certainly not going to get top 10 running back salary. Um, and there's no question he had some really nice runs. I think he came out of Purdue. I remember he was in the Eagles camp for a while. You may remember that. He's a track guy. He's got explosive burst and speed. And in that system, and they do a lot of things, which you're not going to get into now, but that really help with their blocking schemes. They're very creative in how they do base runs. Um, and that really helps a back. The other guy I wanted to ask you about, Greg, wasn't really in the news this week, but on Wednesday's Even Money podcast, that's our sports betting podcast, I talked to Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus, and I didn't realize this, Greg. He said that they had Dwayne Haskins from week 11 on last year. They had him graded as a top 10 quarterback in the NFL and the best quarterback in the NFC East, starting in week 11. Not going to ask you to comment on their grades. 
I just want to know what you saw from Dwayne Haskins down the stretch. Because when I hear that, I think, well, I got to get I got to get Greg's <laughs> breakdown of how Haskins was in his last five or six games. Well, I watched every snap of his uh, starts last year, and literally improved incrementally. Uh, he's a certain kind of player. He's um, you know a little bit of of a leaden wooden pocket quarterback he's got a big arm he can make all the throws um he got a little bit better as the season progressed in terms of movement within the pocket because that's something he's going to have to master to be a higher level nfl quarterback he will never be a second reaction player improvisational player so he has to master pocket movement he got a little better at that as the season progressed showed the ability to climb the pocket uh, but he has a lot of work to do now. From everything we've read, he's down to 218 pounds. That's a real positive start. He's got one of the best quarterback coaches in the league now in Kenny Sampisi in Washington. Kenny's been around a long time, worked with Carson Palmer. Carson Palmer gives Kenny Sampisi a ton of credit for preparing him in terms of protections and the nuances and details of the position. So that's a real positive. But when you watch Haskins tape, yes, he improved, but it was incremental. But you look at the traits, he has to be a pocket player. So everything that goes with that must get better. Interesting. Yeah, that's kind of what I saw when I watched him. I, I, I got to be honest with you, after everything you heard about him during the season last year, in the middle of the year, and then, you know, when he first got out there, I thought, wow, this guy's going to be a disaster. And then I, against the Eagles, he played well. I mean, he had some good games down the stretch. So. I'm. Uh, I, I would say I'm cautiously optimistic. Uh, I am very bullish, Greg, on the no huddle, up tempo offense, and I'm excited. I think this was actually one of the listener requests. We get emails from listeners, and you can send them to me, Ross at RossTucker.com, for different co-sells concept topics. They wanted to get into the no huddle, tempo, hurry up offense. So I guess I want to start there, Greg. I don't even want to take in a direction. Okay. When, I, when I say that to you, what do you think? How would you describe it? Well, let me just start with one thing, because the last thing I want to get into is this idea that a lot of people have that, oh, why doesn't everybody just run no huddle every time? Because it's great. You know, you see what some teams do in two minute or end of game. And I just want to make clear that defenses have clearly started to adjust better to playing against no huddle, huddle tempo teams or teams that do it more than others. So I don't want people to automatically think, oh, just run no huddle and you'll have a great offense because the NFL is cyclical. Defensive coordinators are smart people, as you know, Ross, from playing in the league. So let's just put that aside for the moment. Think what you try to accomplish with the no huddle on the tempo are a couple of things. Sometimes you do it because your offense is stagnant and you want to just change the tempo just to try to, you know, get some juice into your offense. Sometimes it has nothing to do with the defense and you're just trying to jumpstart your offense. We've seen that a lot. A team will come out, their first two or three possessions, whether they're three and out or whether they struggle to move the ball, and then they come out no huddle just to change the rhythm of their offense. So we've seen it used in that sense. Um, then you start getting now into the impact on the defense. A lot of times teams go no huddle because they feel that they want a particular defensive personnel to stay on the field. 
whether it's base, whether it's nickel, whatever they feel based on their film study leading up to that game, they would like that defensive personnel to stay on the field because they feel based on game planning that they will have an advantage running what they want to run against that particular defense. So let me just stop there so we don't just overload with me just giving a lecture for 15 minutes. So, And then you can jump in here, and then I'll give you some other things. Yeah, so, man, I got a lot to say too, Greg. Uh, the first thing I would say that I think is important to note, and I want you to comment on this, and then I'm going to get to the defensive side of the ball. But the one thing I want people to know is there are actually different no-huddle tempos, if Correct. you will. There can be like, if you think about like Chip Kelly, right, where you're literally trying to get the snap off as fast as you can. And a lot of times you're just, that's a one word deal. And they're just saying one word and you know what the play is. And I and I was in offenses. Now we didn't do it as often and or as fast as Chip Kelly and, and who kind of popularized it, but it's usually one word. Everybody knows that that one word, you know, elephant is the same as 72 all go or whatever, right? Like, right. You, you know what the one word is and you are getting up on the ball and you are snapping it as fast as you can. But then there's also, you're getting up on the ball, it's no huddle, your tempo, but the quarterback is kind of looking, he might change the formation and he might call a play with different, um, he might call out a play. He might say red, right, 70. Like he might actually call the play and you have more plays in your repertoire there, but it still serves the purpose of not allowing the defense to be able to substitute because you can always quick snap it on them. So Correct. the one point I wanted to make, Greg, is that not all no huddle offenses are the same. There's three kinds, really, when you get to it. There's the Chip Kelly, just let's play as fast as we can. There's kind of the mid-tempo no huddle, where you might snap the ball with 15 or 18 seconds on the play clock. And then there's the no huddle that is just a no huddle in the sense that you're up at the line of scrimmage. Peyton Manning used to do this all the time. They might snap the ball with one second left on the play clock. They're not, they're not playing fast. They're just not huddling. So there's really three kinds, Ross, as you just indicated. There's really three kinds of no huddle. That's an important point. From an offensive yeah. lineman's perspective, I'll dive into what I liked about it. And there's a couple of things, really. You mentioned defense from a personnel grouping standpoint. It really did two things in my mind, Greg. And I've noticed this even more. You know, I do a lot of college football, and every college team does it, right? I mean, yeah. it seems like every college team runs no huddle, up tempo, whatever. And the two things that they tell me and I notice, number one, especially if you're going as fast as you can, like I did UCF last year, they are lightning. I mean, UCF is getting the ball off in like 10, it's crazy. And one of the things that happens is the defense, especially the D-line, gets tired. D-line is tiring. Rushing the passer is tiring. And what's crazy about it is, you actually end up getting huge holes and gashes in the run game because they get so fatigued. If you can get a first down and then you're into the third, fourth, fifth play and you're snapping it every 15 seconds, like on the ball snapping it, 
those guys get gassed. And as an offensive lineman, it's almost like two minute at the end of a game. You get a first down or two, they can't get off the ball, Greg. I mean, they, 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 the lactic acid gets in their legs. They cannot get off the ball. Well, you just hit on two points, two notes I made, because I knew we were going to talk about this today. I said it tires pass rushers, which has the ancillary impact of making the D-line less effective playing the run. And that's a reason for doing no huddle as well, just as you indicated. The other point, which you just touched on, and the Patriots are a team that does this all the time, and obviously you can do it at any point in the game, is when you get a first down and the defense is a little unorganized and unsettled, Patriots would rush up to the line of scrimmage and snap the ball. And the defense, as I said, they're a little unsettled. They don't get set. And you could run it. The Patriots would often just do a running play because gaps would be all, you wouldn't be set by the defense. You know, it's basically what you were just speaking about. The defense was not in position to play with the proper discipline that was required to play the run game. So a lot of times, let's say you get an 18-yard first down on a pass play. You race up to the line of scrimmage, and you know what the play is going to be because you've practiced this all week. So the quarterback doesn't even have to call the play. Maybe he just, like you said, yelled out blue, and everybody immediately knows what that is. And the defense is nowhere near settled. You hand it off to the back. There's no gap integrity on the defense. And you get eight, nine, ten yards, and the defense doesn't even know what hit them. The other thing is, Greg, is that it makes defenses very vanilla. Correct. You know, they're just trying to get lined up. They're just trying to avoid what you just said about, you know, mis misaligning, giving up a gap. The last thing they're thinking about is we're going to bring this free safety will blitz. We're going to do that. We're going to disguise this coverage. They're just trying to get lined up. So it gives everybody on offense, and in particular the quarterback, a very clean and clear picture before the snap because they usually just stay in whatever they're in. They're just trying to stay in it and get lined up. So you know, I mean, you talk about pre-snap reads. There is no pre-snap. You already know what they're in because that, that they're going to be in that the whole drive because they're just trying to get lined up. That's a great point. That's another point I was going to make is that it forces defenses to show its pass rush and coverage intentions quickly. There's very little chance for disguise and late movement. So from a quarterback's perspective, what are offenses trying to do for the quarterback? Give him as much information before the snap of the ball as possible so the no huddle and the tempo can do that because teams very often they'll have to show whether it's split safety or single high safety. Now, as I said, I just want to refer back to that caveat that we started with that defenses have gotten a little better, just like the offense has packages where they might yell out one word. The defense has done a better job of moving in that direction. So it's not automatic that you're going to get the exact same look. What we used to call the default defense. It's not automatic that you're going to get that all the time, but yes, you do force the defense to be less versatile in what they can do. And it's particularly effective against certain defenses, you know, the Mike Patton defenses, defenses that like to move people around before the snap of the ball to try to show different looks and, and confuse the offense. So against defenses like that, it's really, really effective because it does force them to be a little more stable and stationary in how they line up and they can't quite do as much, but they have adjusted and they do do more things than they used to. Yeah, like you said, Greg, they're they're so used to it now. They practice against it so much. So many teams run it yep. that 
it's not it doesn't catch them off guard anymore really you know I mean like they're they're ready for it and they have their one word responses on defense and sometimes their one word response is a blitz is something that's not vanilla they can change up so they have gotten better in that area last teams question have, go ahead. i was just going to say teams had defenses have become more aggressive with pressure as they play it against no huddle and tempo more and more back you know four five six years ago it was almost a given that you get no pressure when you went no huddle but defenses have made that adjustment last question greg would just be is there anything i missed i mean I, to me we hit on the big things i know you always have a lot of notes now is there anything about no huddle up tempo offense that we missed or that you think people should know well just a couple of quick you know sort of tactical points I think when a team goes no huddle, more often than not, more yeah, again, there's no 100% rule. But if you go with the six-man pass protection concept, Ross, and you know this as an offensive lineman, what you're trying to do with a six-man protection is you cut the field in, in half. You cut the defense in the half of the quarterback. And if you go with a six-man protection, even if the defense blitzes, you feel really, really comfortable you have any pressure in your no huddle taken care of. And that's what you want, because the last thing you want in no huddle is to get a free rusher, because that just defeats the whole purpose of it, because then all of a sudden, you know, let's say it's first down, you're second and 18 with a sack, you're done. So if you go with a six-man protection, uh, which a lot of teams do, you cut the field in half, you can slide one way, it takes care of everything to that side, and then you have the back on the other side, and you really just cut it in half for the quarterback. He doesn't have to worry about one side at all. All he potentially has to worry about is is – the other side, and it just makes it so much easier from a protection standpoint and a comfort standpoint for the quarterback. So all he's worried about is then the coverage. And as we've said, the coverage usually is not as sophisticated or detailed in, in a no huddle situation as it is in a normal situation. You got to check him out on Twitter at Greg Cosell. You got to check him out at fantasypoints.com using the code BEAST. Love this each and every week. Thank you, Greg. Thanks, Ross. Appreciate it. You know what I appreciate? A, Greg Cosell, and B, free money. As in like $1,000. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code ROSS when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users can get a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I'm not kidding you. It's right. DraftKings Sportsbook has a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Just enter code ROSS when you sign up. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Disclaimer voice. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or PA only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. We've got Fight Island. UFC, I think it's 251. We've got the Workday Charity Open Soccer. We've got other futures markets for NBA, NHL. You can take our even money futures bets, uh, win totals from Wednesday. Just make sure when you download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, you use the code ROSS. Tucks takes. All right, Ross, you talked about it with Greg. Your thoughts on Niners running back Raheem Mostert's trade demands. Never have any problem with a player trying to get more money. Oh, never. I mean, now, 
I don't know that it'll happen. He's one year into a three-year deal. He's paid, you know, I think $2.25 million. I understand where his agent's coming from. The question will be whether or not he's willing to actually hold out and or whether or not the Niners are willing to make an adjustment to his contract. My guess is he doesn't want that much more money. I think Tevin Coleman's scheduled to make like $4.5 million, and that's what he's asking for. So I think the Niners will end up making a minor adjustment here to give him a, a little raise, a little bonus that he'll be happy with, and they want him to be happy. I, I think that this gets resolved. And if it doesn't, then it gets more interesting, right? Like if, if he actually doesn't show up for training camp, then that's a little bit different. And by the way, it's one of the reasons why it's kind of interesting, Bri, about this concept of players having the ability to opt out uh, this season because of the coronavirus. You know, a guy like this could say, yeah, I'm opting out. I'm opting out because of the coronavirus. But for $4 million, maybe I'd play. You know, like that's that's one of the issues that they're going to have to think about. Takes. Some more COVID-19 protocols were announced by the league yesterday, including a number of game day protocols like players being forbidden from exchanging jerseys after the game. Right. And I saw all kinds of players and people in the media saying, oh, so they can tackle each other and block, but they can't exchange jerseys after the game. Listen, I, I know it's popular to just criticize everything the NFL does all the time because they're the big, bad NFL. First of all, this was jointly agreed to between the NFL and the NFLPA. Secondly, if you listen to Dr. Chow on Monday's Ross Tucker Football Podcast and you understand the concept of viral load, you are more likely to get infected, to get it, if you're talking to someone at close distance for two or three, four minutes after the game while you're exchanging jerseys than you are for three seconds in the midst of a play. You are more likely to get it in that situation. And not only that, it's an unnecessary risk. The NFL and the NFLPA are trying to do every little thing they can to mitigate risk. Well, what about when we're blocking or tackling? Yeah. That's what you're getting paid for. That's part of the game inside the white lines. After the game exchanging jerseys, it's an unnecessary risk. You don't have to do it. It's not part of the game. I have a great idea. How about you mail it to them? How about you mail them the jersey? Use FedEx. It works great. Takes. Some more COVID-related topics, including the Baltimore Ravens announcing that their games are going to be limited to 14,000 fans. And then the Big Ten announcing that they're going to play a conference-only schedule this fall. Right. So, I mean, it kind of feels like all of these announcements are all just temporary at this point. Right? Like the Ravens say 14,000. Okay. You know, that might be zero. Maybe it's more. Maybe they don't even have the games. I don't know. Uh, I, I guess they're just setting the expectations you know, people need to know what their season ticket plans and setting their schedules. I think they're just trying to give these people an idea of, hey, we're, we're only going to probably have 14,000 max in the stadium. Okay. I mean, all right. Uh, thanks for the heads up, I guess. It just doesn't seem to me like – it just seems temporary. In the Big Ten, 
I understand this. I get it. Uh, we're actually scheduled to have James Franklin, Penn State's head coach, as our guest on Monday. And so I will ask him about this. Very much looking forward to talking with him about Micah Parsons, who's projected top five pick in next year's draft, and some of the coronavirus strategies, if you will, that he might implement this season. But the idea is, if you just do conference only, you at least know that everyone is adhering, or should be, to the same set of protocols and standards because you have one set of rules with a commissioner. It's really why college football needs like a czar or a commissioner of sorts to be on top of everything because there's no standardization. And by the way, there's different things you know going around all, all around the country right now. So I get it. Now, I don't know. You, you read what the Big Ten commissioner said, Kevin Warren. You read what Archie, um, or what Gene Smith, I should say, the AD at Ohio State. I think college football is still very, very much up in the air. I think the idea is this actually gives them a chance to at least get nine or ten games in and have some sort of season. But what does that mean for the Bulls? What does it mean for – a national champion. I mean, it, there's there's a lot of different things that that need to be discussed there. But I think after the Ivy League announced that they are canceling the season or at least postponing till the spring, I think the Big Ten and these other conferences felt like they needed to get ahead of it somehow, Bry. Because if you think about it, it's kind of a tough sell, right? So the Ivy League, a bunch of Division Three conferences have canceled fall sports or, you know, they've canceled them for now with the idea that maybe they're just postponing them till the spring, which I think would be great for the Ivy League. How do college commissioners and ADs, how do they respond to, well, the Ivy League is pushing it back to the spring for the safety of their student athletes. Why aren't you? It's a tough, it's a tough question to answer. And the answer is money, really. We don't want to push it to the spring. We want to have these games, et cetera. And by the way, it's not just like these greedy colleges. People act like these colleges are being greedy or whatever. They're trying to fund the other sports. I mean, Stanford just dropped 11 sports. So Dartmouth just dropped five. They're trying to fund the other sports. You know, it's not like they're trying to pocket the money. And not only that, there's a lot more people than just the college athletic departments that are affected by this. I mean, not only will they lay off people and get rid of sports, but think about like, you know, where I live, central Pennsylvania, like state college, those hotels, those restaurants, all the, I mean, that's how they make their margin for the year is those six, seven football weekends. I mean, it's, it's a lot of people that will really, really be hurting if there's, I mean, they're already hurting just from losing a few games. If they lose the whole season, a lot of businesses uh, would go under. And it's a real shame. There's a lot of people that are tied into the college football machine and the NFL. So anyway, looking forward to talking with James Franklin for sure on Monday's show. I think you guys will enjoy that as well. Shout outs to Pizza Boy Brewing and DynastyFreaks.com. They are the I think we're done here level members of Patreon.com. 
slash RT Media. It's the greatest value in podcasting. Trust me. To get a shout out for your business at the end of every show for a hundred bucks a month, dynastyfreaks.com, Pizza Boy Brewing. How about two? How about two shout outs? Next week, by the way, we're going to have a special offer that you are going to really, really like. So get fired up for that. I know you guys like the special offers. I'll give you a hint. You could be an NFL player, kind of. I'll explain next week. Other than that, I think we're done here. Thanks for listening to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. Make sure to also subscribe to the Fantasy Feast, Even Money, Business of Sports, and College Draft. All available at Apple Podcasts, RossTucker.com, or wherever podcasts can be found.